0: Well, I wasn't going to do this, but as I look out into the auditorium, I'm seeing a lot of faces that I don't recognize. And so it has been, man, I I don't even know. I was thinking about it earlier today. I don't even know how long it's been since I've preached at this campus. I don't know how long it's been since you guys have heard good preaching. But I'm here. (laughs) Don't tell Pastor Jim I said that. He is already gone, isn't he? (laughs) Pastor Jim had to run to the hospital and check on somebody, but uh, anyway, I'm excited to be here. Let me just tell you a little bit about myself. So I am the Mount Olive campus pastor, and I bring greetings from all the pickle people. (laughs) So there, I'm on loan tonight, but uh, man, just that campus is going so well. A couple people from here left with me. They were living, Marmac, Mount Olive area, and so they came with me. and I appreciate you giving up those people, but more importantly, I appreciate your prayers. It's hard to believe that a year ago this time, that campus was just a dream in our heart. And now, it's almost a year old. God's blessing it. You realize we're portable over there, and so we set up church. Everything you see here, we set all this stuff up. We have church, and then we take it all down, and uh, so I just was nervous about that, but God has blessed us so much, and uh, anyway, the campus is doing great. A word about my family, so my wife wanted to be here tonight. She is a teacher, and uh, she's at Princeton Elementary School. She's uh, She's the music teacher there, and she also helps us with worship at our Mount Olive campus. So she, like many other parents and teachers and kids, are... And doing the open house thing tonight, do I have any parents that are glad that open house season is upon us and that summer's almost over? Okay, all right. I thought I'd get more of a response. All the parents who are excited about that are at open houses tonight. And then uh, life is crazy at my house. I have a a two-and-a-half-year-old named Mason, and Mason is potty training. So he can say five words and my whole day stops, all right? If he says, uh-oh, my pee-pee, <laughs> it doesn't matter where we are or what we're doing, you have to stop because there is only about a 20-second heads up from warning light to action, Okay? And so if you see, just for the next couple months, don't leave me stranded forever, but if you see my truck, white F-150, parked beside the road somewhere, just keep going for now. Just keep going, because my son has, uh, has screamed those five little words at me, so that's interesting. And then as if life weren't busy enough, we are getting ready to have another little guy in about a month on September 21st. We're going to meet Landon, and so we are so... Excited, I think. I'm pretty sure we're excited about that. You know, I think about it, I'm like, man, we we're sleeping we're sleeping through the night now. We don't have to do bottles or diapers. What are we doing? But anyway, we're we're excited about that. Shouldn't have said that. My wife will see this video and she'll get on to me. Anyway, all right, so We are in a series on worship, and I'm not going to do a big recap. If you want any of these notes that I'm preaching from, all you have to do is email that right there. If you've missed any sermons in this series, you can go online, bridgechurch.cc and get that. And then, of course, guys, I'm telling you, do not forget social media. Let me just tell you, I did a Facebook Live the other week, and uh, people got on to me because I announced on a Tuesday that on that Sunday there was going to be a big announcement at the church. I didn't tell what the announcement was, I just said, I want you to know I'm announcing an announcement. And so people didn't like that, but 2,200 views. So that's, inc- I mean, that right there is the power of social media. And I just think about how oftentimes we come to church, we had a great experience, we learned something. And we never posted anything. And we post a picture of lasagna that we had tonight or something our cat did, but we won't post about Jesus. So, anyway, don't be that guy. Post about what's happening here tonight because I'm going to probably say some really good stuff and you're going to want to capture it. <laughs> All right, a lot to live up to now. So, we're in the series on worship. And there's sometimes that I want to worship, there's sometimes that you want to worship. But then, there are times where I just don't want to worship. And, and maybe you've never been there before. Let me just throw myself under the bus here. But, but there are times when I know, I know I should feel like worshiping. I know I should, I should worship because all that God's done for me and, and how much I've been blessed and who He is. I mean, even if He never did anything for me, just who God is and how magnificent He is, I should worship. But if I'm being transparent tonight, there are times when I just don't feel like it. There are times when I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like worshiping. Maybe you're sitting in that seat tonight and you're thinking, you know what, Pastor Andrew? After the day I had, after the fight I just had with my kids on the way to church, after, you know, the thing that happened at work. You're right. I don't feel like worshiping either. And so if that's you, I want you to know that you're not alone. But what, what I want us to talk about tonight with the time that we have is worshiping when it doesn't make sense. How do we worship when? Everything that's going on in our life, it would seem like man, you you shouldn't want to worship. You shouldn't be worshiping. You should be mad. You should be angry. How do we worship when it doesn't make sense? So, several years ago, I was at Heritage Bible College, and every week we had chapel service. And one week for chapel, there was this guy from the North Carolina Symphony and I can't remember his name. If one of you knew this guy and called out his name, I would probably remember it if something would click. But anyway, devout Christian man. So he came to chapel service, and he did his thing on that violin. And guys, I'm just telling you, I'm not a big musical person. I don't understand music. My wife's a music teacher, and she can attest to that fact. She appreciates it far more than I do. But this guy, it was undeniable how incredible he was on that violin. And then he sat the violin down. He performed a few numbers. He sat the violin down, and he stood up, and he preached Jesus. And I've thought about it some this week. I don't remember what he said. I I don't remember what he preached, which is a little discouraging when you think about the fact that I'm preaching tonight. (laughs) But... I remember what our conversation was afterwards and so I went up to him and I said man you I just want to tell you that was incredible dude how long have you been playing how much do you practice and he told me he said I have to practice every day and I thought holy that's a lot he said if I don't practice every day if I take a day or two off I can tell If I take a week off, like there have been times when I've gone on vacation, things like that. When I take a week off, my friends can tell. He must not have friends like me. Must be his symphony friends, but some of his friends could tell. Anyway, here's what he went on to say. I said, to practice every day, you must love that violin. You must really love what you do. And what he said next gave me hope. He said, there are some days I hate it. You're like, Pastor Andrew, you are sick and twisted. Why, do you, why does it give you hope that he hates his violin? Because there are days that I don't feel like doing stuff. And I see people who go to the gym every day and you, you just can't help but think, well, they must love the gym. Or guys who play violin all the time or who are just excellent at their craft And you can't help but think, man, they must love it. They must must eat, sleep, and breathe doing that thing. And I can't help but think about how much that fits into what we're talking about with worship here. Because just like that violinist some days woke up and was like, oh man, I don't want to play today. I hate this violin. There are days that I wake up and I don't want to worship. But I know that God has called us to be a worship. God has called us to be worshipers. God has called me to be a worshiper. So how do I, even when I'm going through difficult times, even when there are dark days that I'm going through, how do I still worship? I saw this story by Rick, uh, Rick Warren. And for those of you that don't know him, he is a mega church pastor out in California. uh, Famous church, Saddleback Church, wrote The Purpose Driven Life, just an incredible pastor. And here's what he said. He said, I used to think life was peaks and valleys. That the peaks were when everything was going good. And the valleys were when everything was going bad. And you just kind of got to endure the ups and the downs of life. He said, but the longer I live, the more I realize that's not an accurate representation of what life is. Life is actually more like a railroad track. See, because there are good things that are happening all the time, and there are bad things that are happening in my life all the time. And so just like a railroad track that has two rails, there are good things and there are bad things, And I'm going down the track of life. I'm on this journey of life. And the further I go, the more good things I run across and the more trouble I run across. The more uh, exciting things happen in my life and the more depressing things happen in my life. Because life is like that railroad track. And then, when we talk about trouble and when we talk about dark days and life storms, I think that there's no story in the Bible, there's no person in the Bible whose life illustrates that better than Job. Now, if you're new to this whole Jesus, Bible, God, church thing, let me just take a few moments and catch you up to speed on who Job is. Job is a person who has a whole book of the Bible. A book of the Bible was written about his life. It's found in the Old Testament toward the beginning of the book, uh, toward the beginning of the Bible. And so Job is a very wealthy man. He lives in the land of Uz. And you need to understand something about Job. Job has a large family and Job has extensive flocks. By every measure, Job was a wealthy man, Job was a powerful man and an influential man. Job had a lot to be thankful for. But here's the most important thing about Job. The Bible says that he was blameless and he was upright. And that he was always careful to avoid doing evil. Well, one day... And this is going to sound so strange. I just want to encourage you. Go read Job chapter 1 and 2. Satan appears before God. And God tells Satan, he says, Have you considered my servant Job? He is pure and holy. He's an upright man. And Satan looks at God and he just kind of laughs. Now we're in the Andrew paraphrase here. He kind of smirks, he said, yeah, I bet he, oh yeah, he's upright, oh yeah, he's pure. Because he's rich. Because he doesn't have anything to be mad about or sad about. I mean, he is blessed. And so he he tells uh, God, he said, I want to put Job to the test. I want to try him out, I want to see if he's as good as you think he is. And so God said, okay, just don't take his life. So Satan goes to Job. But can I give you a spoiler alert? Let me just tell you about the end of the book before I read you the story and before we start going with our points tonight. No matter what Satan threw at Job, Job still worshiped God. No matter what Satan did to him or what he took away or no matter what happened in Job's life, Job worshipped the Lord. See, Satan thought, I'm going to get Job to turn on God. But Job doesn't turn on God. He turns to Him. Job doesn't turn on God. He turns to Him in worship. So I want to look at Job's life as a case study. And talk about trouble. In the midst of trouble, in the midst of dark days, in the midst of difficult seasons, what do we do? Number one, we accept it. We accept trouble. Now I know you're like, say, what? (laughs) Accept trouble. Pastor Andrew, I don't want trouble. Neither do I. I don't want trouble in my life. I don't want negative situations. I don't want pain. But do you remember those two railroad tracks that we were just talking about? The one is good and the one is bad. Think about for just a moment what would happen if there was only one track. That train would never stay on it. It would fly off the rails. There is something about going through trouble. Something about going through those dark days that makes us cry out for God. It makes us pursue Him. It makes us stay close to Him. Let's look at Job's life. Just in chapter 1 alone, Job loses his donkeys and his oxen. Job loses his sheep and his servants. And I know... So we don't really even have a a way to quantify that, right? We're like, oh, he lost his donkeys. Man, that's sad. Oh, his oxen too? Oh, okay. Let me put it in our terms. Job went to work and found out he had lost his job. Job found out that the 401k was gone. The nest egg had been cracked and hard-boiled or whatever, scrambled, fried. Job found out that all the money in the bank was gone. I mean, everything that would make you wealthy in that time was now taken from him. And as if that weren't enough, in chapter 1, he loses all his sons and his daughters. Job loses his family. And yet again, Job didn't turn on God. He turned to God in worship. Well, Satan gets angry. And so he starts scheming again. He's like, oh, okay, all right. I underestimated Job a little bit, but I'm back. And so Satan appears before God again. And he says, well, God, Of course your servant Job hasn't turned on you yet. He still has his health. You know, I mean, I took a bunch of stuff from him, but he's still walking around. He's still healthy as a horse. Let me me take that help. And so God looks at him, and he says, Okay, take his help, but you cannot take his life. And so Satan afflicts him with these painful sores, From the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. I don't know if it was boils. I don't know what it was. But the Bible just describes it as painful sores. And it says that he took pottery shards. The broken pottery shards. And he just began to scrape his skin. Because when he would scrape them and, and that pus would ooze out or whatever it was. Hope you guys didn't eat dinner right before you came here. When he would scrape himself and scrape those sores, it brought momentary relief. But Job was in great anguish because his help, everything this man had, had been taken from him. You may have had a bad day today. You may have had a bad day. You might even have had a bad week. Maybe Monday, the eclipse, you didn't get your glasses in time. You had to look directly at the sun. You hadn't been able to see. Today's the first day. I know I'm making light. I don't want to diminish. There are some people in here who are going through some stuff. They're going through some dark days. I, I've talked with many of you personally. I, I know you know, you you see people at church and they put on that big smile and they, yeah, everything's going good, brother. God bless you. And then you find out later there's a lot of hurt behind that shiny exterior. And so I realize there are some of you here today and you're hurting and life's been hard. But think about this for a moment. Job loses his wealth. His sheep, his donkeys, his oxen, all his sons and daughters. He loses everything he has in the span of about 24 hours. I mean, life's going good one day, and the next day, all hell breaks loose in this man's life. And so, I want to show you what his wife said. His wife has some advice for him in Job chapter 2. Beginning in verse 9, his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. What are you doing, Job? Obviously, you've messed up. Obviously, you've done something to offend God. Obviously, there is some secret sin in your life. Curse God and die. Stop worshiping. Here's what I think is interesting. Let me come back to this in just a second. Satan looked at everything in Job's life and he said, okay, his sheep are good. I'm going to take them. Donkeys, yeah, I won't take them. That'll bring him pain. His wife, mm, I'm going to leave her. I just think that's interesting. I say that because my wife's not here. I have a good wife. I have a good wife. I love her. But Job had a nagging wife, and Satan left her right there. So anyway, Bible, people, it's Bible. I love his response. So remember, her advice was, quit worshiping, curse God and die. And then here is his response in verse 10. He said, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble?" There's those two rails. You see them, it's right there. How can we accept good and not trouble? We're on a rail system. It's going to happen. It's not peaks and valleys. We're going through this all at the same time. He said, how can we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Say, Pastor Andrew, okay. Okay. So Job had a tough life. Everything was taken from Job. What's that got to do with me? I don't even have any oxen to be taken, or what, you know? Anybody ever had a bad day? I mean, let's just put up our hands, right? Anybody ever had a bad day? Those of you who didn't raise your hands, you're liars. You're gonna have a bad day one day if you don't quit lying. We've all had bad days. But do you know what's so amazing? And I'm serious. If you've never done this, I want you to try it the next time you start having a bad day, the next time things just feel like they are mounting up in your life and you're feeling overwhelmed. I want you to go to your bedroom. Maybe you're at work. Go to your car on your lunch break and you turn on some worship music. You're not going to feel like worshiping. You just sit there and listen to that music. And then you may start worshiping. You may not start worshiping. But you know what I guarantee will happen? You will leave that one-hour lunch break in that car. You will leave that bedroom. You will leave that time of worship in a better mood because worship does a couple things for us. And that's my second and third point tonight. So I want to talk about that, some of the things worship does in the midst of trouble. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 18 says this Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. What's Habakkuk saying right there? If everything in my life falls apart. If I lose it all, yet I will rejoice. Why? Because there is something about worship that helps us. There is something about worship that puts things in perspective for us. So do you know, one of the most important things you could ever do is to learn the discipline of becoming a worshiper. I hope you'll come back next week. Next week we're going to finish up this series on worship and we're going to talk about how to live a lifestyle of worship, how to be continual worshipers no matter where we go. so important. So that's number one. We have to accept trouble. Now number two, in the midst of trouble, we control our response. We control our response. Here's what I found. When I'm having a good day, it's easy to praise God. I got a promotion. Yeah! My kid was born today. Yeah! Praise God. We're having sloppy joes tonight. Yeah! Praise. Don't take a lot in the Price household. I don't know what it takes for you. But I've also found that when we're going through Bad times when there's trouble. It's easy not to praise Him. It's easy not to worship. I've been holding up Job as a pillar and we're we're looking at his life tonight. So I think it's important that we look at his response. What did Job do when he lost it all? Let's look at Job chapter 1, beginning at verse 20. It says that this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. That's how we know, that's how we know it was a big deal in his life. That's how we know it was serious. In that day, those were signs of grieving. If you were going through something, if you had, you know, if you'd lost a loved one or something difficult was happening in your life, you would tear your garments, you would put ashes on your head, shave your head. It was a sign of grieving. So, This is not something that's easy for Job to go through. He loved his life. He loved his children. He loved what God was doing for him and through him. So he tears his clothes. He shaves his head. He's grieving. It's hard. But what happens next is so important. Then he fell to the ground in worship. He starts worshiping. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised forever. Now, I want to ask all of you to participate in a little exercise with me tonight. I want to ask you just to close your eyes right where you are and think about this. If you lost everything... If you got word right now, text messages just started rolling in. You lost your house. The bank foreclosed. There's no money in the bank. You've lost your children. You've lost your spouse. You've lost your health. You got word from the doctor that it is uh, cancer. It is debilitating. It is... What would you do? Just think about it. With your eyes closed, right there where you are, what would be your... Response. Now open your eyes and look at me. I think sometimes, because especially those of you who aren't new to church and you have read the Bible and you know how this story goes, it's easy to say, oh, okay, he lost some stuff. I know how it ends. But think about that for a moment. You lose everything. how would you respond I was gonna ask you <laughs> yell some stuff out I'm not gonna do that <laughs> here's what I will say I hope my response would be worship I don't know I mean I, I get it I'm a pastor I've gone to Bible college I've been in church literally all my life even before I was born my mom had me in church and if anybody, surely, Pastor Andrew, you. I don't know that that would be my response. Man, that would be so tough. And so, I just wanted to do that to encourage you. Yes, in the end, you should read all of Job if you've never done it. In the end, God restores all of those things. He has more children. He, God gives back to him his flocks and all that stuff but you get that news and look at his response he says he fell to the ground in worship a little bit later in job chapter 13 verse 15 it says though he slay me yet will i trust him hey god i want my money i want my house i want my family i love all those things I want my help. But if you take even my very life, I'm going to trust you. Because I came to this world with nothing. I may leave with nothing, but I trust you. you. Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. Through worship, Job was able to control his response. And I just thought about something that we all learn in elementary school. It's a little saying, and it goes like this. I can't always control what happens to me. Maybe you guys didn't learn this. In my elementary school, I learned I can't always control what happens to me, but I can always control my response. You say, he hit me, I had to hit him back. You can always control what happens to you, but you can always control your response. Through worship, Job controlled his response. Before we get to the third point, I want to show you a video. There's a young lady who goes to the Mount Olive campus, and uh, a couple months ago, she got some some tough news. And... uh, She's sharing that with us in her testimony. So turn your attention to the screens.
1: Hi, my name is Cindy Corr. I'm happy to be able to be here with you today to share my testimony and what God has has done and is doing in my life. Uh, Back in April, my family, we were all excited because we were getting ready to close on our home with that, and with work, and uh, everything we were preparing for, I was going through an illness. I um, wasn't quite sure what it was. I was going back and forth to different doctors, and, and the only thing I had been told was severe gastritis, which I took medication for, and it didn't do anything. And a week later, I went to the ER at Duke University Hospital. My husband actually had an appointment at two. I wanted to get there early, so I decided to take off on my own and drive myself to the ER at Duke, which gave me plenty of time to talk to God. I remember one of the things I said to him when we were trucking down 40 was, I don't know what's in store, but I know you do. And no matter what, what transpires here today, I accept it. And I will glorify you and all that I do, and I will share with you, share you with as many people as I possibly can. Where we found out that I was stage four, gastric cancer. <laughs> and that was hard for us to take. But immediately, I began to pray and talk to God because I know that He already knew this day was coming. He was already preparing me. I know with, with certainty that Jesus can heal me. And that's what I pray for, a healing. And that healing can come in many forms. It could come here on earth, or it could come when He receives me into heaven. But I also understand that sometimes God's will is not our will. And sometimes there's things that we have to go through. It doesn't mean that God is not there. Um, every day, you know, I deal with different things on a daily basis. Some days are more challenging than others, like today. But when I have those days, I have to stop and I have to pray. And I pray, and I just say, "Thank you, God, for all the blessings that you give me." Because I look around and I see my beautiful home and and my children and all those blessings that I have and out of the 45 years that I've been here everything that God has given to me and my family there's no way that I can sit and be sorry for myself do I have a bad illness yes Uh, God allowed me to have that illness why I'm not sure but I know he has his reasons and over time we'll see what they may be, but one thing I do know is that I serve a merciful God. I serve a great, gracious God, and He will bless, continue to bless me and my family through this. He will be here to help us endure whatever we have to endure, and when it's over, whether I'm here or gone, He will continue to bless in ways through my family or others. He is not just going to abandon us. I see so many people who, when they see a good person die, they think, Where was God? God was right there. He was right there beside them, holding His hand. He's always there. It's just a matter of where are we at. He doesn't walk away from us, we walk away from Him. And I just can't imagine how hard it would be for someone to go through what I'm going through and not have God. In their life to not have Jesus right there to help them through it because I can tell y'all Even when you see me as a picture of strength, it's not easy And It's not something that I would want my worst enemy to go through But I know that Jesus is there every moment and what gets me through it is in my hardest times I look at all of his blessings that he gives me each and every day. So now here I am with a terminal illness. And, and to me, I feel that opens me up to more people that I could relate with and talk with and share God with. And that's what it's all about. Not what we do here on earth on a day-to-day basis, but what we work towards as uh where are we gonna spend our eternity? When I stand in judgment, I want, I want to know that I had done things right, that that I'm standing in judgment. I'd love to be able to look down a line and someone say, you know, there's your fruit or there's your fruit. What I can tell you mainly through this is if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, find Him. Get a relationship with Him. Help that relationship grow. Share your experiences with others. Share Jesus with others. And I can tell you when devastation hits and you have Christ, he is right there in the midst. And he will help you and your family and anyone else through every single moment. He will not abandon you. I wake up every morning and I know that cancer is there. You know, doctors, they didn't just say you had cancer. They said it's everywhere in your abdomen. And when you wake up in the morning and you feel it and you know it's there, it's difficult. But God is there for me and that's when I pray and say, you know, thank you God for waking me up. Thank you for my help. I just worship Him. Even in the hardest time of my life I worship Him and I'm telling you that do that. Worship Him whenever it doesn't even make sense to worship Him. When you're at your lowest and worst point in life, take the time to, to worship Him, worship that one that gives us life and, and the one that is there for us to endure each and every moment in that life. I look at it like this. There's a lot of people out there who think they have the whole rest of their lives ahead of them a long time, but honestly, we, none of us know what's gonna happen tomorrow. Um, we're never promised tomorrow, and I, sometimes I look at it as, as I have been given a gift of knowing that, hey, something's coming, <laughs> you know, we don't know when, so go ahead and get it right, and that's what I want to do. I want to use this illness and what's, what's happening with me and with my family, even though it's hard, and it can be frightening. <laughs> You have to trust and have faith in the good Lord that He's going to pull us through this and we're going to be better for it. One day we'll be at the end of this chapter and I'd like to be able to say that I share God with as many people as I possibly could and to thank Him for allowing Him to use me With this illness to help others.
0: People I know. She called me the morning that she was going to her appointment and said, Pastor Andrew, and I knew she had been. Dealing with pain. Like she hadn't been able to eat. And things had been hurting her. And she just said, Man, my stomach is always hurting. And so she called me that morning and I prayed with her on the phone and I said, Keep me updated. Let me know how this appointment goes. She went in. They did tests. And then a couple days later, they called her. And she called me and she said, Pastor Andrew. Stage four. There's no worse stage. It's the worst. It's the worst. It's as bad as the cancer gets. And they said it's everywhere. They said it's not contained. Doctors have looked at her at 45 years old and said, probably got about a year left. You know what Sydney's response to me was? I, I broke down on the phone. I couldn't help but cry. I mean, 45, I mean, that's young and she's got three children and they, her and her family, we've been praying for them to get a new house and they had just bought their dream home and, and now this? She said, Pastor Andrew, I guess I don't have long I want to win as many people as I can to Jesus. Think about that heart for just a moment. Pastor Andrew, I could go on vacations. I could go to the beach. I could live it up. Spend every drop of money I got. It wouldn't do me a bit of good. You know what will do me good for eternity? I'm going to tell everybody I can about Jesus. Because Cindy knows, and I'm wrapping up with this, the third thing is in the midst of trouble, we fix our focus. Worship helps us to fix our focus. focus. Job said in chapter 19, I know that my Redeemer lives, earth. And after my my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I get to see Him, I myself, with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Job's greatest hope for his life. Cindy's greatest hope for her life. I'm going to get to see Jesus. As we talk about worshiping when it doesn't make sense, I want to tell you that the first and most important act of worship you can do is to know Jesus as your Savior. If you don't have that, you've got nothing there are some of you here tonight and maybe you want to make that commitment we're going to have people down here at the altar there are others of you and you would say well Pastor Andrew I'm a Christian but I I've been running I know that I've not been living right and like I said at the very beginning we sometimes take advantage of what we have we, we don't appreciate things until they're gone and we just think, man, I've got all this time. I'm young. I'm, And none of us are promised tomorrow. Would you take a step toward Jesus tonight? Would you take a step toward Him? Right there in your seat. Come up here afterwards. I don't care how you do it. I just want to help you do it. Because like Job and like Cindy... He said, I'm going to get to see Jesus. Me, not another person. I'm going to get to see Him with my own eyes. I'm going to get to worship Him face to face. And that's what we want for you. Let's pray.